0: Good evening, and welcome to episode zero 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 one seven four of the mission. My name is Daniel James. I'm going to be your host through to 8th this evening, broadcasting to you from Triple R World Headquarters, which is at the end of the ninety six line, which we also know is on Morundry Land of the Kulin Nation. And I pay my respects to their elders, past, to present, and I remind us all that this always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Uh, thank you. Luke for filling in for through for uh, Double Bounce at short notice, I believe. Uh, cracking show. Good to have you back in Triple R. Um, love the lighting arrangement you have in uh, Studio One there. Really is something else. Um, but on to uh, tonight's show. The, um, the men's AFL season is over for another year, and last week we learned of the horrific allegations against the conduct of senior coaches at the uh, Hawthorne Football Club, Uh, allegations centering around around bullying, coercive control, isolationist methods, separations, encouraging, believe it or not, pregnancy, terminations, all in the name of sports ball. Uh, What was as revealing as those allegations via the ABC was the reaction from across the football world to those allegations, reactions of shock and surprise and dismay. But anyone that's kind of paid close attention to matters of race and racism in the AFL can't really say that they were shocked at all. Because when you have a win-at-all-costs culture that entices boys and young men away from their families into an industry rife with institutional racism and interpersonal racism, well, then you have a recipe for disaster when you sit back and think about it. And instead of having First Nations players come through the higher echelons of the game, the highest echelon of the game, of the game they love and enjoying themselves and being able to build a life for themselves as a result of that. We are seeing young Aboriginal men leave the game they so love with things like PTSD, All the name, once again, of sports ball. So, you know, you've got to ask yourself, what the hell is happening here? And if you step back from it and have another <laughs> think about it all, it's just like so many other cases, this issue comes down to value, the value placed on the First Nations people when they interact with the institutions, systems and other people across our society. It seems that across so much of this country and all the tiers within it, that the value on the lives and the quality of the lives for Aboriginal people is ranked lower than that of everyone else. Lives that you can therefore manipulate to achieve the results you want with, it, with scant regard to the lives you're actually impacting. And so if the allegations at Hawthorne are substantiated by the new AFL investigation that was announced last week, then that's exactly what happened. And are we surprised? Mm, nah, no, we're not. It is something that we see time and time again. It was only a few weeks ago, it seemed, that uh, I was crying out for the over-the-fence treatment of First Nations players by spectators and the racism that some of the champions of our game continue to suffer, all because of their race and perhaps also because they're just a little bit too good. So we'll uh, wait and see what happens with that AFL report. It's going to be a three-month process from what I understand. They haven't even got a panel together yet as of the airing of this show. But uh, the AFL has a track record record, of not being able to handle these situations too well. And I myself, being a little bit staunch, I would be thinking twice before taking any sort of corporate dollars from the AFL um, to basically provide them with an avenue in which they are able to placate a lot of this treatment by having things like the Sir Doug Nichols Round and other such events um, there's got to be a line here that we cannot cross anymore Because lives are being destroyed um, In terms of the rest of the show, we do have good news I'm very thankful to say uh, I'll be joined shortly by uh, Daniel Billy One of the Torres Strait Islander eight That took the Morrison government to the UN Over an action on climate change And they won um, As we know, the Torres Strait Islanders are on the front line of the impacts of climate change when it comes to this place. And they stood up, they took a stand, they drew a line, and they wouldn't accept no for an answer. So we'll speak to Daniel shortly. And in the second half of the show, we'll talk to Wiradjuri elder, Uncle Andrew Gardner, over the Andrews government's bizarre decision to rename Maroondah Hospital after the recently deceased monarch um, I'll ask him about Mary Beck, of course, and he's also a member of the First People's Assembly of Victoria. So he's, a, he's an elder, therefore he's an interesting guy, and he continues to contribute to our community. Uh, if you want to text in, you can text in via uh, 0466 981027. And let's not forget also that we are still in the grips of Radiothon, and we have just over a week now in which you can actually pledge to support the station and go in the running for a whole range of really groovy and cool prices. Um, but it is eight past seven. You're listening to The Mission, live from Triple R World Headquarters, 102.7 FM. Thank you, Vanessa. Just a reminder that you can actually listen to Vanessa's show, Banksia, at uh, midday on Mondays, where she speaks and talks to people I'm involved in First Nations, First Nations arts and culture and music. It's a fantastic show, and I encourage you to listen to it when you can. It is 14 past seven this Tuesday evening. You listen to the mission on 102.73RFM rrfm and across the country on the National Indigenous Radio Service. <clears throat> now to uh, tonight's uh, first guest. On the 23rd of September 2022, last week, the Torres Strait 8 made international legal history after the United Nations Human Rights Committee found that the Australian Government is violating its human rights obligations to Torres Strait Islanders by failing to act on climate change. The landmark decision obliges the government to do whatever it takes to ensure the safe existence of Torres Strait Islanders. It also sets a precedence for Indigenous people around the world. Now, one of the members of the Torres Strait Eight is a fellow called Daniel Billy. Um, We've had you see Mosby on the program before to talk about this campaign, which has been phenomenally run and so well done, uh, when you take into account it's been run through the heart of a pandemic and has resulted in, in success. Um, but I had a conversation with uh, Daniel um, earlier this afternoon from my ivory tower in Radio City Docklands, and here it is. Daniel, Billy, uh, welcome to the mission, and congratulations on your victory. How are you feeling?
1: Excited um, to hear the good news. Um, yeah, a lot of emotion, um, so yeah, emotion, emotional and exciting feeling about this, um, not only for myself, but for, you know, Torres Street.
0: Yeah, I've spoken to, um, to Yessie a couple of times about the campaign when it was being launched and the hopes that he had for it. Um... Just as a reminder can you give us a brief history of how the campaign was um, initiated and and what happened from there
1: yeah so um, it was it started in um, 2019 and um, this was um, where we eight um, claimants took the Australian government um, to the Human Rights Committee and um, we as a human being has the right um, to live the life that we're living where we want to live Um, the rights to our culture and traditions that was passed on for any generation, and this is um, why we've took this on board um, for our future generation um, for the survival of our islands.
0: It's um, been increasingly prevalent over the last couple of decades, Daniel, that uh, uh, the Torres Strait are actually on the front line of the climate crisis. Uh, what impacts have you seen for yourself um, um, over the last decade or so when it comes to climate change?
1: I've um, grew up on Poroma Island um, for the first sixteen of sixteen years um, of my life, and I moved to Waro Island and um, been here ever since. And growing up on Poroma. Um, I grew up with um, my grandparents and they shared their time um, about how the climate um, change has really moved and really impacted our shores, the landmass that has been taken out. And, and then I um, um, saw it for myself, um the impacts um that it has caused um on our shores. Um landmass has like taken out um the garden um crops um we can't plant them anymore because of the heat of the sun, you know um the coral bleaching um, where we used to go out into the, yeah, to the reef to fish. Um, there's not much produce anymore. Um, a lot of change over the years um, I've seen and also heard from from my grandparents and also from um, family members that has, you know, walked on the beach where it's no longer there anymore.
0: And so eight of you decided to come together as the Torres Strait Eight and do something about this. And you've run an absolutely um, amazing campaign. First of all, you you got got 47,000 people to sign a petition during um, the darkest days of the pandemic. You've met with uh, ministers from the government, both sides of the aisle. Uh, you've had stories on the seventh third report in Harper's Bazaar, in the Sydney Morning Herald, New York Times, The Economist, The Guardian, NITV, The uh, Cairns Post, Torres Strait Islander News, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. How draining has the campaign been for? Um, I don't know you well, Daniel, but. For someone, I guess, who would like to live a relatively quiet life and just get on with their day-to-day existence, finding yourself in the whirlwind of a campaign like this must have been um, a bit of an eye-opener.
1: Yes, um, it's been. And just to get um, media um, from all part of Australia and also um, international as well... um, It's um, quite a roller coaster, like we really want this message to be shared, how stories um, to be told um, to um, Australians to international um, level um, to support this campaign and um, also to get um, all this support, so um, the government can see for themselves that we um, we've been supported by the pu- the public, and um, and for the eight of us um, to share our stories, it's really um, private, but. We wanted to get the message across of why we um, stand together, the eight of us, um, not for our islands, but for the rest of the Torres Strait um, Islands, and also um, to make a history um, that um, never been done before. First ever case. Um, yeah, so so draining, and um, but we got through this, and with the pandemic coming in and the um, the postponement of the decision, um, it's been um, a nerve-wracking um, feeling for the last couple of months. They said that, oh, the decision will come out and this, and then they postponed. And, yeah, it's like mixed um, emotions, but um, it's finally come to this. um,
0: I am speaking with Daniel Billy. He's part of the Torres Strait Islander Eight, who made international legal history. uh, On the 23rd of September, just last week, Um, when the United Nations Human Rights Commission found that the Australian government is violating its human rights obligations to Torres Strait Islanders by failing to act on climate change. So what does that decision, Daniel, now mean in in a practical sense for both um, uh, the Torres Strait Islanders and for the Australian government? We want um, to
1: see action Now, like from government, um, you know, this is really, it's a really big um, historical um, thing. Um, But to see the government make a move and, you know, take action, have fundings, um, get fundings for seawall projects, you know and also with the fossil fuel um, to cut down on um, mining industry and um, gas companies and all that,
0: yeah. And um, you've yeah. called for those things, and now we have an Australian government that is closer to. In a policy sense, um, reframing the way that um, Australia as a country tackles tackles climate change. So, what you've actually done, Daniel, you and the Torres Strait Islander Eight, you've actually been impeccable global citizens by calling for this reform, because we know that Australia per capita is one of the highest emitters of um, global warming chemicals and gases into the Earth's atmosphere. Um, do you get a sense of just how important your role has been in terms of reshaping the way we think about these matters not only in this country but more broadly across across the world
1: yes as a as a um, human being, we have the right to voice out and um, share concerns about what's happening in the world today. And this is personally, um, I voiced out um, for future generation of my island home. I want um, my children, their children, and their children to be living here on this island to share the a unique culture that was passed down um, to the next generation for the next sixty thousand years plus from here. In,
0: in many ways, it's the, it's just the start of what needs to be done, isn't it? I mean, um, the the campaign will continue on. What what happens next in terms of the campaign?
1: We will still continue to fight to voice out. Climate change won't stop, so we won't stop as well. No one will move us from our islands, no, um, the government or climate change. We will stay here and we will voice out um, for the survival of our islands.
0: I don't doubt it. Survival
1: of our
0: culture. I don't doubt it for a second. You're an absolute um, beacon to not only First Peoples everywhere, but also to the broader um, Australian community. Now, there is a um, special webinar on Thursday the 29th, um, which will be part of the Torres Strait Islander 8, which you'll be there, Daniel, and um, your legal team, in which you'll be talking about the decision um, on a webinar via eventbrite.com.au. Um are you looking forward to that?
1: Yes, very looking forward for that um can't wait to you know share um the feeling that we've felt for the last couple of days um um people um families been coming up and congratulating us and we want to share that feedback to um wider Um, public so looking very looking forward for that and also to meet in Sydney next week with everyone and you know have a proper celebration and um, yeah so um, 23rd of September will be a day that we will always remember Um, ease to come um, and we will you know Celebrate this historic event um,
0: forever. It gives um, you, um, yeah. it gives you a great example, um, a great excuse now to get together on the twenty third of September every year yeah. <laughs> and celebrate yeah. your victory. Yeah. It's it's something that um, is um, being heart for, and once again, my congratulations to you and um, to all the people that uh, you've worked with and you represent. You've done yourself proud. And uh, you've done the rest of us proud too. So thank you so much for coming on this evening, Daniel. I really appreciate it. If you want to go and be part of that webinar, it's on Eventbrite. Just do a search for Torres Strait Island 8, and it's on at 6.30 on Thursday the 29th online. Uh, Daniel, thank you so much for your time.
1: You're very welcome.
0: Emma Donovan and the putbacks there with Take Some Time. Uh, Speaking of time, it is 19 to 8 this Tuesday evening. You're listening to The Mission and now on to tonight's second guest. Now, uh, forgive me for this introduction, but I couldn't help myself, okay? Uh, Last week, as part of the Festival of White Supremacy, which was the prolonged farewell to Queen Elizabeth II, the Andrew government's made an announcement that confounded so many of us that thought we were actually living in somewhat of a progressive state the Premier announced that his government will spend $850 million to $1.05 billion on redeveloping and expanding the Maroonda Hospital in Ringwood should it be returned to government in November's state election. The Premier went on to say that the hospital would be then renamed the Queen Elizabeth II Hospital. It comes at a time when the council, formerly known as Moreland, has been renamed to Merribeck, a Woiwurrung term meaning rocky country, so, who better than talk about these matters and other things than Uncle Andrew Gardner? Uncle Andrew was a proud Wurundjeri clansman of the Woyurung people and an Aboriginal Muslim Australian. Uncle Andrew's working life has been in the service of Aboriginal communities and improving outcomes for all. And increasing our understanding and improving our understanding of the First Nations peoples of this place He's also a member of the First People's Assembly of Victoria And I'm very pleased to say that he is on the line now Uncle Andrew, welcome to the mission
2: Welcome to be at the mission uh, <laughs> I'm glad it wasn't back in the
0: 1930s <laughs> No, no, here in 2022 uh, in the, uh, the the safe hotbed which is uh, Brunswick East You're in very safe hands, huh? so uh, fear not Um, (laughs) um, Look, it always seems around these matters that we seem to go one step forward and one step back when it comes to trying to decolonialise this place just a little bit. What was your reaction when the Premier announced the renaming of the Maroondah Hospital?
2: Well, initially I was uh, impressed with the announcement in terms of the uh, extra investment into the hospital for that growing... uh, broader community around Ringwood and that uh, Box Hill further further uh, towards Louisville uh, communities. Um, you know, that's been a key hospital in that area and those northeastern suburbs for quite some time. And it has had a remarkable history in terms of a connection with our people in terms of its name, Maroondah. Marunda's yep. a highway. It's also a... Um, uh, a local government area. It's also uh, the name of a, a lake just uh, just inside um, Hillsall. So this has got a lot of synonymous uh, uh, relationship and connection to our people. Given the fact that it's the only hospital in Victoria with an Aboriginal name, it was quite astounding to hear that that was the second part of the announcement to rename it uh, in, uh, in, in relation to the uh, Queen Elizabeth II, who, who's just passed. Now, you know, colonialism from the past, coming back to retake our names, our traditions, it just isn't palatable. Um, And we would call on the Premier to rethink that. Uh, There's other opportunities in terms of the investment they've committed to with the Melton Hospital. That could be clearly named. It needs a name. So that could be one obvious opportunity the government can fulfil its intention in that regard, but not rename Marunda.
0: There's so many promises and pledges being made by both sides of uh, politics at the moment in the lead up to the November election. That you're absolutely right after There's Not only hospitals that could be named after uh, the former monarch, but there's so many other things that could be named after the former monarch as well. I, I nearly choked on my Wheaties when I heard the announcement. It was as jarring as the time I, was. I heard that uh, Prince Philip was going to be knighted by Tony Abbott but that's a totally different issue. Um, yeah. What does it say? With well, so much happening in Victoria around truth telling and supposed listening. We have the First Peoples Assembly, we have the UROC Justice Commission and we have all the discussions that are happening in and around that. It's a pretty huge toll that the government would make such an announcement because it sort of indicates that perhaps while they're proud of the work that they've been ostensibly funding around this, they haven't actually been listening that closely to what's been coming out of these processes.
2: Well, it's astonishing to uh, look back uh, when we were first uh, uh, appointed, I guess, or after the election we were uh, set uh, in December um, 2019, yeah, the Premier came in on the last day in the afternoon, uh, said to us all after we'd started doing our forming and storming uh, connections, you know, he, he said to us all, you the experts, you go away, talk to your communities, you come back, nothing's off the table, um, you know, you come back, you the experts, uh, relate back to, to us what uh, your communities really want to talk about in terms of their treaty aspirations, and we'll see what we can do. Okay. But then two years later well, three years, Um, you know, two and a bit years later, we we get this issue of we want to uh, rename an Aboriginal named hospital. Now, why would you want to do that? It just doesn't ring true to the commitment to um, the relationship of treaty, uh, the connection, the negotiations that need to occur by pushing it even further away by... Delving into this area, surely this should have been a, a little, um, you know, trigger, you know, a little uh, spark should have gone off. Said, hmm, yeah, perhaps we shouldn't do that. Perhaps we should look at an alternative. It, it just doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't engender that commitment of appropriate negotiation or commitment to that. I mean, are we just getting one word, or we're we getting another word, Are we getting one attitude, or we're we getting another attitude? You know, if the, if the Labor government gets back in uh, in November, um, you know, there's a lot of commitments they're making. There's a lot of uh, commitments they've made to our mobs across the state. Um, you know, if the opposition gets in, what are their credentials? What are they you know, promising to do? If they haven't announced much of those things, um, it would be good to see what they're actually saying because our situation is that we need to go with a government that's prepared to be committed to us. Now, they've said that, but in practice, mm, it's starting to make people wonder. Lots of people are ringing me up and other organisations and other communities and other elders around the around the state. Is, is this really where we're headed? What, is, what does treaty mean for us? What is the state government actually going to commit with us? So these these sorts of things, you know, send a shivering message, like you said, um, to to what could be in the future. Are they really good promises or are they mm, flimsy ones that just fall back on deaf ears again? Now, our people have been pushed from pillar to post over the decades, and, you know, this issue about people objecting to, you know, traditional owners, what's well, just a word? Traditional custodians. We We were custodians of the land because we treated it well and it treated us well. It kept us living after generation after generation after generation. Now, if our traditions are just worth, um, you know, lip service, but not really substantive commitments (laughs) that we expect, then what would we really go down the path of treaty? Lots of people are asking that question. We're still saying, listen, let's see how things go. Let's stay committed to our task of broadening our scope about what our treaty aspirations are and see what the state government say. It may well be in a couple of years, you know, the federal government might turn around and get a show on the floor of, you know, parliament, you know, the federal parliament, where, you know, it's not just the voice in parliament that's attractive, that they've prepared to change the constitution through a referendum, that this... takes away all this disadvantage to our people across the country, not just in Melbourne, but also the opportunity of the prospect that treaty on a national position could be taken. Now, if that's still off the table, and that's not going to be possible, then we will look back and be reliant on the state government to do that. And so, you know, there's lots of communities around Australia who are looking at us as to how we're progressing with things, as to what their governments actually would be proposing to do as well. So, you know, we, we can only look to the, pu- to the future. We've, uh, the state government committed to the treaty authority. Uh, the treaty authority bill got passed just uh, recently. Yep. Um, and the next thing is the treaty negotiating framework and also the self-determination fund. If we can't determine our own future for our communities and for the Torres Strait Islanders that are from, from you know, traditional owners are from somewhere else, but they're living in our communities all this time how do we look after their interests as well as our own in terms of traditional owners
0: it's a huge tale isn't it Unc? i mean um the yeah. fact that the fact that uh, you know, your mob wasn't even you know consulted with with the, the name change is something that is really confronting for people that are putting in so much of their heart and soul and their intellectual rigor to making cool. treaty happen in this place and these these processes are opening up big wounds and they're very hard conversations to have and the fact that um, uh, something like this happens while you're while so many people are making themselves vulnerable to this process is um, very alarming. I wanted to speak to you um, uh, a few more questions before i let you get on with your evening. Um, The Moreland City Council as it was formerly known has changed its name to Meriback, that is a council that has listened to its constituents. Uh, what are your feelings and thoughts around the name change?
2: Well, it was a great prospect once uh, last year when we were advised from a community member, a non Aboriginal community member, mm-hmm. in relation to what that word stood for. We did some research into the background and the feedback from that was that it was associated with global slavery, racism and then... Um, uh, purposeful dispossession of our, our, from our ancestors from the 1830s, 1839 particularly, to the 1840s. There was only a couple of years where whole rafts of land in the northern uh, western suburbs uh, were now, would be considered that area, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Falkner right through to Plenty, right down to um, uh, Werribee, were sold off as big parcels of land to just 29 British men. Now, in two years, all our traditions, our traditional culture, our, our aspirations, our living areas, we'd have to be... We were pushed off and moved off. Fifteen years after that, we were pushed onto missions around Victoria. Now, these things are so telling in our truth-telling through the Europe Justice Commission. Um, lots of communities, lots of elders around Victoria, you know, putting these uh, words, their knowledge, to, to the record books. Um, so for Merribeck, so for the Merribeck uh, City Council, now known, so formerly its, uh, its name uh, came into being yesterday, it was gazetted last week, so from yesterday, uh, it's now known as the uh, Merribeck City Council. They've uh, changed their wording, a lot of their logo, their little M logo will stay the same because it's got M in it as well, so it, it all, it's not a huge amount of stuff that's going to be changed, but... The significance of it is yeah, and the relationship a... the relationship that the community has with the council doesn't change. it moves on because there's a recognition' there's a recognition of our people's history coming back to the fore. and then the, the historical stuff starts to fade off into the, into the background and the multicultural society that uh, is now Mary Beck is, is much more is that much more um, respectful. For that, yeah. the leadership that the council has shown, and the respect that they've shown us along the way, and we've shown back. We've respected their capacity to actually make the change. Be prepared to make the change. They went through the process in a record time. We announced that to the minister for local government yesterday. Record time: nine, ten months to get it done. Well done. The the new minister who took on uh, this um, uh, process uh, from the previous minister, Minister Lean, he. Yeah, he, was, he, was, he was behind it. He backed it from the start. He's had that conversation with the new minister, and the new minister got on board and said, that's a great thing, I'll keep uh, supporting that too. And that's why it's taken so quick.
0: And now, for, and for that's anyone kind of that's complaining thing. about um, you know, the cost of re-signage and, and the like... Oh, I, a lot of people
2: like... are, and they have, from, they have from the start. But here's the thing. They're going to have um, you know, ward elections coming up, and they're going to gerrymander those, so instead of 11 specific wars, they're going to crunch them down to a couple. That's going to, that's going to have a cost to it. Nobody complains about that. But here's
0: the other thing that I like to remind people of, is that we're about to get a new head on the back of all our coinage, um, with the Queen's uh, head yeah. being removed from the back of our coins and replaced by that mm. of uh, King Charles III. Now, there's got to be a cost to that. So you can't, exactly. if you're going to complain about one, you've got to complain about the other. Um, uh, we're running out of um time here but i just wanted to um touch upon the work that you do with uh, the worundjeri warrior on cultural heritage um aboriginal corporation what what role do you play there um just just quickly before we run out of time before the next show yeah
2: look i work in the uh, area of uh treaty aspiration Yeah, so traditional owner Uh, treaty engagement officer. It goes well with the role in terms of uh, First Peoples Assembly Mm -hmm. Um, and the natural instinct of that transition enables our people to participate and and broaden their aspirations. What is it the treaty is going to do for us? They're the questions that we need to ask. Also, we need to broaden our base. We need to have every Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people behind us. We need the broader community behind us because as it's shown, we can't just Uh, be focused on government supporting us we're going to have the broader community and corporations supporting us so that pressure can be applied back onto government to honour its commitments
0: yeah we must remain vigilant on so many fronts all the time uncle Uncle andrew gardner thank you so much for coming on the uh, show this evening um thank you for your passion and the work that you do and uh, let's get you back on and talk about many other things uh, in the future
2: thanks james really appreciate the opportunity
0: Well, that's it, friends, for another episode of The Mission. I've been James. Coming up next is uh, Superfluity. Through with you from 8 till 10 this evening. The whole trio are in the house, ready to entertain you for the next couple of hours. Um, Until next week, stay safe, stay strong, and stay listening. Ta-da!